Welcome back to Mayor Michelle De La Isla's community podcast. Jamie Slack here. And of course, Mayor Michelle De La Isla. How you Hi, doing? Jamie. How are you? Good, good, good. We're so excited to have our next guest here with us. And it's Carla Pratt. She's the Dean of Washburn Law. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You've been hanging out with us for a while. We've had dinner. We've been here for a long period of time, but you've hung with us. And she survived. She did. She survived (laughs) having my Puerto Rican family here. Yes. With everybody doing Dance Mm -hmm. Dance Revolution in the room next door. Yes. My mom watching Mm -hmm. novelas while she's cooking food. And everybody trying to have a and conversation. And me, my nose, she, and my phone the oh whole time. Oh, my God. She is a rock star. <laughs> and yeah. the rice and beans and, and steak were very well worth yes. it. Yes. Mm. Yes. Worth yes. the yes. weight. Yes. Yes. Get it. Good, 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 good. Okay. So we're talking a little bit about you being at um, Washburn Law. So you've actually been there um, as the dean for just about a year. That's right. I yeah. just finished my first year. Okay. So you've actually been, um, you were at Penn State I was. before, but you were there for... A while, and you were there doing diversity and inclusion? Well, I started at Penn State as an assistant professor of law and worked my way through the tenure ranks. And mm-hmm. once I got tenure, I started serving as academic dean. And I served in that role for six years. And then um, my final year there, I served as dean of diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So then you just, did you kind of decide you wanted to do something different and you kind of saw something was, was going on with Washburn? I wasn't planning or? to leave Penn State because my son had just started college and I got a 75% discount as an employee. So um, I wasn't planning to leave, but we had a wonderful dean of students who was a Washburn Law School alumnus Oh, who yeah. uh, emailed me one day and said, my law school is looking for a dean and I think you'd be perfect can we talk about it? And so, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, so I did I, not know that about your story. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to learn about Washburn. And, uh, you know, I was a constitutional law professor. I taught Brown versus Board every year. But I taught what happened at the Supreme Court level is really where I was focusing. So I hadn't really paid attention to the fact that the lawyers who filed the case here in Topeka were all Washburn Law educated. And so when I heard that story and I heard that the university was founded as Lincoln College to celebrate the end of slavery so that higher education could be accessible to all people, including people of African ancestry, it just really spoke to me as a person of African ancestry and a person who's dedicated her career to education equity and access for higher education. So I just felt like this is the place I need to be. And it kind of worked out. So just for a second, I'm just going to pause and say, just think about the podcasts that we've had lately and just the caliber of people that we have in our community. We are so thankful to have you here. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. This is really kind of an interesting community because we do really have a very wealthy historical community. And we have so many wonderful people who are great historical uh, uh people who take care of that history, you know, and are, are really good at, um, at, you know, managing that for us. You know, we have all the, the people that are doing, you know, the Brown v. Board stuff, and we have all the, you know, the great things that are going on and, and, and people who are passing that information down. And I think it's all really great stuff that's going on in our community. So it's always nice to have, you know, new people that come in and, of course, can bring us great things. So, so you also went to Texas A&M. I, I graduated from college at East Texas State University, oh. Oh, which was okay. bought out by the Texas A&M system. Oh, okay. So, so maybe um, that's where I saw it. Yeah. But then so. you also went to you went to Howard. 
Yes, I went to Howard Law School. And that was your law school. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was pretty fascinating. So when I saw that, I thought that was pretty interesting. So where did you kind of decide that you wanted to go more on the constitutional route and you So Jay Clay Smith taught constitutional law at Howard and um, it was there that I fell in love with constitutional law. Um, it was very much a an intensive course at, at Howard Law School because of the salient role that the Constitution has had in the liberation of African American people. So um, for me, that was just a course that really opened my eyes to um, how our country was founded, um, the flaws in the original document, and all of the subsequent challenges that we confront racially stem from that initial compromise around race and slavery. Mm-hmm. So you constantly are, are maybe seeing that still today, and so that's maybe something that you're, you're working with, even with students, you know, possibly giving them ways to maybe keep working throughout their own careers to be able to keep working through that we do we have we have students who are committed to racial justice or and social justice Mm -hmm. um the um you know the challenges that students confront today aren't much different from the challenges that i confronted when i was starting law school as a the first person in my family to graduate from high school i was of course a first generation law student and law was completely foreign to me. The profession was foreign. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And we have a lot of first-generation students at Washburn, which is one of the things that I love about Washburn is that it makes legal education accessible to people who wouldn't otherwise attempt a legal education like myself. Mm -hmm. So something that you were discussing with us a little bit, you know, when we were off, you know, the air, do we call it on the air? I have no idea. We're on a podcast. Um, you were talking about the third year. Um, Whatever you want to call it. Um, I know what we call it. Um, you're talking about the third year anywhere option. You know, a way to like cut a little bit down on your student loan debt. Um, yeah. And a way for people to, uh, you know, get their degrees faster um, and an easier way to maybe get um, school done at a, in a quicker Well, it doesn't help way. you get your degree faster. So the third year anywhere option um, allows you to do your third year of law school out of residency so that you can be in the place where you intend to practice law. Um, so if you if you say, I'm from uh, New York City and I want to go back there and I want to practice law there, um, we can get you back to New York City in your third year of law school uh, practicing law under the supervision of a lawyer there, learning how to apply wow. the, the theory and the doctrine that you've learned in the classroom for the past two years. So it's kind of like a medical school uh, mm-hmm. model where medical students conduct a residency. So law students would be conducting a practicum, a residency, out of residence, not in Topeka, but where they intend to practice. The other thing that does for them is that they can be compensated for those 20 hours a week that they are working in this placement. And so they can have money coming in. And if they go back to where they uh, were from and their families live there and they can live with their families, they can reduce the cost of uh, living expenses so they don't have to borrow money for room and board and food. They can just 
freeload off of parents and family. (laughs) (laughs) So this hasn't been an option before. No, it wasn't. So the American Bar Association's Council on Legal Education accredits law schools, and they changed the standards in August of 2018. So a month after I arrived, the rules governing law schools changed. And when I saw that change was on the horizon, I started thinking about how could we leverage this change to, to the benefit of students. And so I proposed to our faculty that we consider this third year enrollment option. Uh, different law schools have done different things with it. Some law schools have created a hybrid um, online learning where you do some of your courses online and some in person. Um, the ABA change allowed 15 credits of distance education in the first year, but our faculty felt very strongly that the first year of law school needed to be in person right? because that foundational learning is so important. And but so, usually that's the first year that they say you don't even work. Right, right. The preference is that uh, students not work, but we at Washburn, we understand that not everyone has the privilege, the financial Mm -hmm. privilege of being able to go to school full time. And so we do allow students to work part time and study part time if their work schedules can accommodate our Uh, time that our classes are offered. So we don't have a night school, but we do allow part-time day enrollment. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the biggest things, I think, since you've been here? I mean, you've been here a year. I mean, you've seen it a year. What do you think are some of the biggest things that you've, you've seen that students are dealing with that maybe could be a hindrance to them going to school? Um, So I think uh, wellness is a huge issue in the legal profession and in law school. So we've made it um, an important initiative at Washburn Law to make sure that we pay attention to student wellness and not only student wellness, but employee wellness as well. Um, But really, we try to model wellness for our students. So I'm trying to be a better Uh, model and try to remember not to send emails at obscene times of night that I might be working late (laughs) uh, because that doesn't model wellness for our students, right? That sends the message that you need to work 24-7 and Mm -hmm. that is not a healthy lifestyle, Mm -hmm. right? And so we want students to know that, yes, you have to work hard, but you don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to sacrifice your health. Yeah, for something like that. So that is something that you've noticed. But, you know, you also did talk a little bit about student debt. You noticed that that has been something that has been... Financial stress is, you know, again, that's one of the stressors that, that, you know, disrupts wellness is um, we have some students who experience food insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, And so I'm very thankful that we have a pantry at the Washburn University campus that students can access. We also have an emergency fund at Washburn Law that students can access if they have an emergent need. And so, um, you know, financial stress is real. Um, Students can borrow the full cost of attendance now, which was not the case when I went to law school. So that is um, a plus, but um, even when the student loan package is calculated, there is a personal contribution that is expected that each student can make. And many of our students don't have the capacity to even make that contribution to their own education. So they start out with a deficit financially. And that creates a lot of stress. You know, if you if you don't have uh, adequate food, then you can't 
have adequate study. And so we try to educate the whole student at Washburn and let students know that we can't help you if you don't communicate with us and we're here to support you uh, as a student and as a person. And we recognize that there's more to you than just your academics. And so um, we have a wonderful Dean of Students, uh, Jalen Lowry, who reaches out to students and lets them know that, that we're there to support them, regardless of what it is that may be impacting their studies. I tell you, it you have not lived until you've been in one of Dean Pratt's courses. Um, I had the opportunity to attend one of her courses. Wait, so so can I just interject here for a second? Do you actually, you, you teach too? So I taught a course in the spring semester um, called Race and Law. Um, it was epic. And it, it's a course that is um, rooted in constitutional law, but looks at um, how law has influenced um, race and racial hierarchy and racial subordination in the U.S. But do you, you don't normally, as a dean, do you normally teach? Yeah, I'll teach that course each spring. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt your question. No. So um, it was eye-opening to see how the students were stimulated. I, and, and I don't mean this as a, as a, as saying that Washburn is not as great as Harvard and that Harvard is, you know, but, but it was after doing some Harvard training, um, a lot of it is putting you in a case study and then you go through the case study and you have you know, questions to the case study and you start chewing it all up and it was impactful to be there and we were talking about race and I will never forget uh, if I'm going to take the term wrong, but it's miscegenation. Yes, uh, miscegenation. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you see, she You're taught me well. You're going to have to spell it now. Go ahead and uh, spell it. <laughs> but it was about uh, Native American tribes and uh, we were talking about the number of tribes that were eliminated that we have no record of. Because if you would, as a, as a, as a native, if you would uh, have intercourse with an African-American, um, it takes three, over three generations to, for you to you know, not be able to see anything of an African-American in your, in your, in your physical evidence appearance. Any evidence of African ancestry. Yeah. And, um, and they were talking about how if you were with somebody that was native after three generations, all those evidences were gone. Um, so there were if you're people. White. So yeah. if a white person procreates with a Native American person, the uh, offspring three generations later merely appear Caucasian. And so the plan for the elimination of the, quote, Indian problem became encourage as many white people to marry Indians as possible so that we can, quote, disappear the Indian. And so... They, she, was, she was talking in the class about how there was actually people that were assigned to going into uh, the tribe's Quote okay. unquote. Can and I, then I know we're not I, in your class right now. <laughs> Could, okay, can I, this is going to be a totally awful thing that I say right here. Why didn't they just take them out? So that's a great question. Um, and initially there awful, had right? been a policy of the American government to, to kill and exterminate. Um, and so the policy evolves over time, just like federal policy changes with each president. So federal policy evolved over time to say that's not human, humane. That's not you know right. We should. And a guy named Richard Henry Pratt, no relation to me, um, came along and he said, you know what? We should not kill the Indian. Let's not 
kill these people. Let's just kill the Indian in them, but save the man. And so the project of assimilation began. I wish everybody could see the faces in the room as she said that comment. Everybody's like, oh my God. We said, what? It's like, which emoji? Which, what what emoji? Time, throwing up one. But at the uh, time, this was a very progressive thought because the prior practice had been to kill them. And so he's saying, let's just kill the Indian and save the man so that we can, you know, integrate these people into our society. And that was a very progressive thought for his time. But yeah, so the part the part that really just struck with me after I mean, aside from just like the expressions that I saw in the room right now of oh my God, this is part of our history. Why don't we know about this? Is the fact that there were a whole bunch of other tribes that had intermarried with Africans that were here in the country. So when the quote-unquote inspector, whatever the name that person had, that would come to figure out if there was a tribe there, they would say, no, I just see a whole bunch of um, Negroes. Negroes walking all around. There is no tribe here. And all of the evidence and all of the culture and everything that was related with that tribe just gets eliminated automatically. And this was our government doing things like this. Well, they also did the smallpox blankets. They also did the, I mean... Did you ever watch the Ken Burns, like, Into the West? I sobbed the entire time for the eight hours of that documentary. I sobbed. I mean, it was just, it's so heartbreaking to see some of that history of just, you know, but it's important. We need to see it. It's so important that we know, like, what, we need to face what, what we are. This is what we are. Correct. And imagine, imagine me, who I thought I was woke. Right. Because I thought I was just like, you know, I know some things, you know, and I've never felt like I'm a 100 percent like all knowing of the law issues with race. There have there's several laws that I interact with on a regular basis that were like, okay, you know, like I talk a lot about redlining and, you know, and the way that the, the the what people like to call the entitlement, which drives me insane system is is established um, and all the systems that are there to keep people without having all the resources that they have. But I had never gone as far back to understand as our country was evolving um, the things that were happening. And, and we often talk about the things that were happening with the natives but I didn't know that it was this horrible. So imagine me walking into this classroom thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to hear a little bit about law. And just it was a case study um, and just having that robust discussion and just watching the students and her like not giving people answers, but just playing the provocateur and asking questions. And people are like, you know, like jumping at it. It was I left that classroom exhilarated. Um I took a I took a class at um, I was when I was at Washburn when I my minor was political science and I took a class and it was like a summer class and it was I don't remember what the class was but I learned about geographical racism and I was like like head exploded like and I ran home to my mom and I was like geographical racism mom do you know what this is and she knew exactly what it was <laughs> and I was just like I can't even believe this this is so crazy and it was like. I mean, that was like huge and new to me, but it was like, all of a sudden it's like all these things are going on that people try to act like don't exist. I know. You know? So can I ask you, cause I don't think that I've ever asked you, how did you get into diversity and inclusion? 
I mean, what was what was what tipped you towards that line of work? Because I mean, somebody like me who has been doing DNI, I never thought that I was going to be doing DNI. Right. It's, so it's just like, yeah, I think I think the same. Um, so because I had gone to law school at Howard University School of Law. Um, I had not really experienced racial subordination in law school. And um, so I was kind of educated in a bubble. And so when I got to Penn State and I was a law professor and I saw student after student, African-American student, Latina student, uh, coming to me saying, you know, I can't, I can't take this place anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, just the pain of being there in hearing comments that were said in class that um, were painful and and conjured up a lot of um, uh, negative emotions such that the student was overcome with the thought of that, what I'll call microaggression or macroaggression, um, and couldn't even focus on what the lesson was about because they were derailed by what had happened with respect to I know that the discussion we know what microaggressions are, but for those who are listening to us, could you please give us a little lesson on what microaggressions are? Yeah, so microaggressions are little slights or insults that people experience because of their identity, and usually the speaker doesn't intend any harm, but, um, you know, it's like I can, you know, accidentally elbow you in the face, and I might not have intended to hurt you, but it would hurt nonetheless, right? So, um, you know, it, it, it hurts the person who hears it and experiences it, uh, even though the speaker might not have intended any, any uh, ill will. So um, students were coming to me, and I just felt like I needed to do something. Um, I was the first African-American woman tenured at um, Penn State's Dickinson School of Law. Wow. And that is, that's a pretty big deal. And I felt like, um, you know, that's a privilege that had been given to me and I had been put in that place for a reason and I needed to, I needed to help these students. And so, um, so I started doing some diversity and inclusion work at Penn State and that's really what got me into that, that kind of work. Wow. Do you see yourself doing, you know, that type of work still here at Washburn Law? Um, it certainly is a component of what I do as dean, um, but my duties as dean are really, really varied and wide, and, and um, it's broad. I'm it's sure very broad. Um, so, you know, my my primary goal right now is trying to raise money to build a law school building, um, and uh, I'm really excited about that. But um, we are doing some strategic planning this year, and diversity and inclusion is part of that strategic planning. And so I'm excited to see what emerges in our five-year strategic plan that we're calling Vision 2025. So, um, you know, I'm inviting folks in the community to come and participate in some listening sessions on campus. And so I hope uh, folks who hear this will email us and get connected and be a part of our community as well. How would they be able to get in touch so that they could participate in these listening sessions? So the person who is chairing the committee is Professor David Pierce. And so um, if you email him or my assistant, Donna McMurray, you can find both of them on our website. Um, They'd be happy to connect you to the next listening session that we'll be hosting at the law school. I would love to ask you as a, as a, constitutional professional um a a professional in the constitution um what is one constitutional law that you would love to see changed 
if okay, that's a question that, that a, I could that ask. That is a loaded question. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I didn't, I didn't mean it as a loaded question yeah. to put her in a bad spot. I mean, and if it's a out-of-bounds question, just say out-of-bounds. And She's like, freedom of speech? I'd take away freedom of speech. Oh, no. <laughs> no I'm kidding. I don't think, no, just, she I'm would never teasing. say that. I know. But, Wouldn't I mean. take away freedom of speech. But um, I think I would, um, you know, I asked Justice Ginsburg this very question when I had the privilege of having dinner with her, and she said she wanted to see a constitutional amendment um, for equal rights for women. And I said, you mean the 14th Amendment isn't enough? And she said, no, it's inadequate. It's been inadequate to bring about racial justice, and it's been inadequate to bring about gender equality. And I think she's absolutely right. So I would, um, I would modify our 14th Amendment so that it is very clear that the principle of equal protection is about anti-subordination. It's about making sure that no single racial group is subordinate to another because unless you believe in racism, right, no one racial group should be outperforming another on any metric that you want to measure. We should all as human beings have beings have the same general outcomes. And so when you see disparities, you see racial disparities along income, along health care, along wealth, along education, it's because of the legacies of racial subordination that we inherit uh, today. So um, yeah, I would change the 14th Amendment. Whoo, that is fire. So what would you say to somebody? <laughs> I was like, who, I hope you like video recorded that, but you didn't have It's okay. It's on a podcast so, so that we can hear it over and over again oh, when we good. need inspiration. That was good. Um, what would you tell students that are looking for a law school to call home? Um, what would you tell them about Washburn? Oh, I would say uh, if you come to Washburn, you are not going to be a number. You are going to be a a future lawyer, and we're going to know your name. We're going to know your story. We're going to know your ambitions, and we're all going to be working to help you achieve your goals. That's one of the things that I love about Washburn is that we're a small community. The faculty uh, knows the the students, and um, you know, if you want to be anonymous, we are not the place to be because mm-hmm. your faculty members are going to know your name. If you're not in class for a few days, they're going to email you, "Hey, are you okay?" They're going to let our dean of students know to reach out and make sure you're you're not sick and that you don't need somebody to bring you some food or take you to the doctor. Um, we're a family, and so that's that's really. Um, the kind of experience that that you'll have if you come to Washburn. So if you if you want the big experience where you can hide and and not be known, uh, that's probably not us. Ew, I don't know who wants that. So I don't I know want the family. I, yeah, exactly. So I don't know who's listening out there to this podcast at this point in time. But if you're listening, I hope that you are half as inspired as I am just to listening to Dr. Pratt. I mean, not doctor. She's not a doctor. She's attorneys don't go by doctors, even though they have a Juris doctor, but Dean Pratt, um, just listening to Dean Pratt tonight. Um, I want to just like pay for the class. So I, can I know. Listen. Right. And, and, and <laughs> importantly, well, I want as well, you to come back because you were supposed to come the prior t- class session when we were talking about Puerto Rico. I'm in. And so I want you I'm to come in. back. I am in. I am class. absolutely in. And, and then the other thing that I'll shamelessly say is, uh, for those of you that don't know, I am a, a member of the Board of Regents of the campus, and we are working hard to get $7 million so that we can start breaking ground on our law school. And I hope that if you were listening, that you understand the caliber 
of campus and the caliber of teaching that is happening inside of those walls. And it would be absolutely phenomenal. Even though the building doesn't make the experience, it would be wonderful for our students to be able to have a brand new top of the line building that is going to last us with the technology for 20 years to come. So if that's you that's listening, that maybe has a million, a hundred thousand, or even a thousand or a hundred that you want to donate to the, to the cause of the campus, uh, to the law school, let us know. Uh, Dean Pratt would be more than happy to speak with you. That's um, right. All, all contributions are appreciated. No contributions too small. Um, but certainly we're looking for that, that naming gift still. And so, um, oh my gosh, I wish I had $7 million to make it the Michelle de la Isla Legacy Law School. I'm just going to tell you, I feel like I, I got already a lot from this interview, just talking about, you know, the historical aspect of everything that you discussed from your class and everything. But um, so I think that was something that I definitely took from it. I have no money to give you. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I have $5.13 in my checking account and I have no idea how long that's going to last me. So that's that's where we're at, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Good luck with everything. No. Oh, oh, there's 20 bucks from my husband. $25. <laughs> Thanks. I think we're married. Yep, 25 bucks. There we Still go. Still the deal. <laughs> Still the deal. Thank you so much, Dean Carla Pratt uh, from uh, Washburn Law. Of course, hopefully we get to chat with you again um, sometime soon. Of course, uh, this is the... Mayor Michelle De La Isla's community podcast. We'll again see you guys next time. Thank Thanks you for all. having me. Thank you for being here. <laughs>